My name is Mike St. Dennis. I'm the associate pastor here at All Souls. I want to welcome you, especially those who are new with us this morning. We're so glad to have you here. Uh, you just missed out on a great opportunity, Jared, because last week uh, we had an outdoor service where we were out on the lawn. Uh, we had a great time, great weather. Thanks to all the volunteers who gave their time and their energy for us to be out there. We finished off our worship service with a chili cook-off. Congrats to Taylor who won and a potluck, and it was really great. And it just reinforced that, that time-honored truth uh, that the way we experience God is through our stomachs. And the church needs more potlucks. If I go plant the church, I'm going to plant the church of the potluck, and you can all join with me. In that service last week, whether you watched online or you joined with us, we started a new study in the book of Mark, one of the Gospels. And uh, as Stephen was starting the study, he made mention that, that it's going to be a long study. We're going to go slow through this uh, book. He started last week and only took one verse. I'm not going to go that slow this morning, uh, but we're going to go slow over the next couple of years. We're going to take breaks in different seasons uh, together, like Advent coming up, and then again in Lent, and again some other times next year. But we're going to keep coming back <coughs> to this book and to this practice. And we chose the book of Mark because Mark is a little bit different than the other Gospels in that it focuses not on what Jesus taught, not so much on the, the context and, and where it fits into the history, but what he did, his character and his actions. And one of the reasons why we're going to focus on this is because we want to learn in practicing the way of Jesus together, we want to learn about his likeness the human side of him as he's going through his daily routine, his activities, the way he treats other people, his relationship with God himself, with others, with the world. We want to see that, and we want to walk with him. For me, one of the uh, most impactful things on my own spiritual journey is when I stopped trying to know things about Jesus, and I wanted to just know Jesus, and that meant treating him as he is alive and with us and working and moving. And so when you read through the Bible and picture <clears throat> Jesus on the road with his disciples and you imagine yourself there, you enter into the story and the story gets into you. When you see his limitations, you find your own limitations. When you see his generosity, his kindness, you find your own. Not only how you can be like him, but that he is that way with you. Because he is present and active with us and leading us, and we can follow him. And so I invite you to do that. One of the practices that goes along with this study over the next couple of years is we're asking our small groups and individuals, and if you're not in a small group, let me help connect you, to go through and to read the whole Gospel of Mark quarterly, to go through and to get the story, the cadence, the rhythm of his likeness into our life more and more. And I have to tell you, I've heard countless stories. I could count them, but I didn't. But I can tell you it's more than five where separate people who didn't know each other, they didn't all have the same youth pastor telling them to do this, but in a season of dryness or feeling stuck in their spiritual life, they just read the gospels over and over and over again, and then something happened. And so we similarly, as we sit at the feet of Jesus, as we practice his way together, in order to bear his likeness and be transformed by him, we're going to take up this practice, so we want to invite you to join us. All right, so I mentioned that last week Stephen preached 
on just one verse. And the focus of the verse was really this one word, gospel, good news, euangelion. And if you were with us, then you might recall that the word was primarily this gospel word. We associate it with, with the life of Jesus and the stories at the beginning of the New Testament. But at the time, there wasn't an association. It wasn't a religious word. It was a political word. It connoted the, the activity of those in power. When a new Caesar was born, a new kingdom was established when that kingdom had a victory in another land and the good news, the good tidings of the reign of this king was expanded or established. And as Mark is writing the gospel, he takes that word of power and influence and victory and the telling of the good news of a king and a kingdom and he relocates it saying, this is Jesus. Jesus is the real king. His life is the real kingdom. And it's good news and victory. Believe in him. And as we're going to see this morning in verses 2 through 8, Mark's going to take the same thing, but this time he's going to take religious imagery from the day. The Jewish people, they centered their life, their identity, and their religious practices rehearsing one particular story of the Old Testament was the focal point of all of their identity and practice in their community life together. One story from the Old Testament. What story is that? Crowd participation. What story is that? The Exodus. Correct. I don't have any. Um, you can have extra crackers today. <laughs> it was the story of the Exodus. They shaped their life around it. The Passover meal. Uh, this story of blood being spilt by the lamb as God sends a messenger to draw his people out of bondage into freedom. But first they have to pass through the Red Sea. They have to journey through the wilderness. They have to be established to reorient their life and follow him. And finally, after 40 years, pass through the Jordan River into the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey where God was going to dwell with them. And this became their identity, who they are, what they're looking forward to, how they understand the world around them. And they have been waiting and waiting for the new Exodus. And for 400 years, no prophet, no voice had come to them. Until John the Baptist, as we're going to see in Mark chapter 2, comes to wake them up. For the Israel people, all of their life, all of the other stories represented these promises, these dreams, these hopes, and these longings for what God was going to do in the world, what he was going to do for them, what he was going to do through them. And now John the Baptist, in the life of Jesus, is coming and saying, wake up, because the dream is being realized. The new day has dawned. If you have your Bibles, flip on over to Mark chapter 1 as we look at verses 2 through 8. It's also printed in your worship guide. And Jen is going to come and read for us. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness Prepare the way for the Lord, 
make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. And now, God, we pray because we are people asleep and dreaming from time to time, and we want to be woken up because we want to live into the reality that you have for us, to see that promise realized, that dream made true. So, Lord, in whatever wildernesses we find ourselves in this morning, would you help us to hear your voice, to respond to your call as individuals and as a community for your glory and for our joy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wake up. The dream is being realized. Just this week, a lifelong dream of mine was realized. Anybody else? On Tuesday night, it kind of still just felt like a dream, right? I'm watching TV, I'm hearing the sounds, I'm texting with friends and family, but it's still just a dream. And then as the days went on, I realized this isn't a dream anymore, this is a reality, and it's time to stop dreaming about it, it's time to start living it. And so uh, when, when your dream becomes reality, it starts to do something to you and even does weird things to you. Because you just want to live into those things you've imagined, that you've longed for, that you've hoped for. You want to make sure that it's not just like what you're seeing and hearing, but what you feel, who you're with, everything that life is like. You want to experience that reality. And so this was me on Wednesday afternoon. Not that one. This is me on Friday. I'm going to tell you that one in a minute. But this other one was me on Wednesday. Hey, Rob, Mike, congrats. Hey, in the words of Chuck Oliver, things are better than that. <laughs> yes. That's, that's, that's all you got to say. <laughs> I remember going back to trade deadline, waiting at the 4 o'clock hour, waiting to get one more arm. Yep. And Richard Rodriguez coming in with the breaking news and how excited we all were about that. Could it work? Would it work or not? And then to be here is just magical. And I think about, just like your kids, Matt, I'm an Atlanta kid myself. And I know that you looked at them and you have to apologize for them going into this culture. Well, you got to apologize no more nope. because we are World Series champs, Scotty. Woo! I love it. Thank you, Mike. Uh... Right after that, the comment was made, that kid must have grown up watching wrestling. Uh, I guess I did. I don't know. Uh, doing weird stuff. Um, you know, that's awkward. My heart was beating out of my chest, but I just felt like I had to do it. I had to celebrate. 
And then I had to record it. And then I had to send it to everybody who was celebrating with me. And then I had to share it with you because the dream was becoming reality. And it wasn't just that. That is not my normal behavior. I'm a lot more shy than that. Uh, I know it's hard to tell, but ask, you know, Meredith and others. But, and that wasn't it only. I hate spending money. If you come consistently to church here, you're going to see me wearing the same four or five shirts. If you come see me during the week, you're going to see the same two shirts. And it's not that I only wear two shirts, but I have three different versions of the same two shirts. <laughs> Most of them from when I was coaching football here at Decatur. I hate spending money, especially on clothes. I just don't see the point. Well, when we won the championship, I got online to order, and I'm embarrassed about how much I spent. Don't tell Meredith. And then after that, the other picture is from Friday at Truist Park. Um, if you know me, you know I hate being around large crowds, unless I know them. I like you guys. I like being around you. I hate being around large crowds. I hate traffic. I hate parking. If you ask me to go to lunch, I'll say yes, but anywhere but the square, because I want to go somewhere where I can pull in the park, and I can leave, and I can avoid traffic and all the messes. I hate spending money on overpriced food, like when you go to the ballpark. I hate going anywhere that requires you to wear pants and shoes. <laughs> but I had to go because I had to live into the reality. I wanted to experience it with everyone that I could in every way that I could. I wanted to live it out. It had been a dream for so long, but now it's real. And it's always going to be real. And I tell you all of that because I didn't have enough time to work on this sermon this week. <laughs> Actually, um, because this passage, in all the commentaries I read this week, talked about dreams and reality. Dreams and reality. The people of Israel had all kinds of dreams and expectations and longings for what the world was going to be like. Their relationship with God, their relationship to themselves, their relationship to the other nations and the other peoples, their relationship to the land, their relationship to life and to death and possessions. They had all these expectations, these dreams, these longings. And for 400 years without a prophet, because they, they always knew that the prophet was going to come tell them, going out beforehand saying, get ready, here it comes. Get ready, here it comes. They hadn't had a prophet until John the Baptist comes on the scene to wake them up. Look at verses 2 and 3 again with me. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. We see this phrase here that says, as it was written. And every time we see that reference, it's one that the people all knew. They knew that that was written. That was the promise. Those were the things that they built all of their community life around. It was the way that they understood their successes and their failures, the exiles, the occupations, the suffering, everything was understood in a set of promises, of dreams, of things that were written and told to them. As 
it was written. But what's interesting about this quotation here, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, what's well, it's not written in Isaiah the prophet. It is, but it isn't. You see, that first part of the phrase is a direct quote from Isaiah 40. But there's also quotations, direct quotations, from two other books in the Bible, in Exodus 20 and another passage from Malachi. And so the force of, you all know what the promise is, what the dream is, what was written, why we're all here. But then they don't just take one of the promises, but they bring all of the promises together. Every good thing that they had longed for, every good dream they had dreamed about, everything they understood was all connected for them. It was all connected in this one direction of God leading to heal the people, to redeem the world. Some of the promises included forgiveness of their sins, healing of the land, bringing fruit to the dry places, bringing fruit to the thorny places, bringing water, bringing freedom. All of the promises, all of the longings here in Mark chapter 1 verse 2. Mark says, all of the dreams are coming true. Wake up. For us, similarly, if we're going to wake up and respond to the passage, if we're going to hear the voice this morning of God speaking to us, we're going to hear the promise that he's taking all of our longings all of our dreams, binding them up and satisfying them in Jesus. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is what do we dream of? What do we long for? What do we need? What do we desire? What would satisfy us? I saw something online a few weeks ago that made me laugh. And it was this meme that said, when you're a kid, people ask you, what's your favorite dinosaur? What's your favorite color? What's your dream job? And then they stop asking you. But that doesn't mean we stop dreaming. We, we keep on dreaming. We just stop telling people about it because we get tired of being hurt. We get tired of being disappointed. But we're still holding out hope all kinds of ordinary dreams that we have for what our lives are going to be like. So what do you want? What do you dream about for your life today? C.S. Lewis talking about dreams and longing 